0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Pokemon. Uh, for those of you who just tuned in, we are a podcast that focuses on pretending real-world influences on Pokemon. So that means everything from biology... Physics and chemistry and paleontology to other sciences like mythology, folklore, and economics. Um, we always want to make sure that we show these cultural influences as well that lead their way into such an amazingly long time and loved franchise. If you are a first time listener, thank you for joining us. If you're a returning fan, thanks for coming back. I am your host, Veteran Lucas, and with me is my friend. Professor Collins. How are you, Professor? Uh, Anything new you'd like to share?
1: No, I'm good. I'm very good. I'm rather excited. I get to take the reins again today, so uh, I know we have some special announcements to make in this episode as well, so yeah.
0: Oh yeah, I do like to give you your, you know, throw you a bone, give you your precious social sciences with a hard science to take a break. Um, Well, I know you have a lot for you for us to get through today, so without further ado, Cue the music!
1: All right, so before we begin, we have some housekeeping that we need to do. Uh, I know usually we leave this for the end of an episode, but I think we should go over a few announcements quickly.
0: Yes, we had a message recently about our sound levels on some of our earlier episodes. I know you wanted to address that first. I
1: do, I do, and I'm sorry about uh, especially the sound levels of the background music if they were too high. Uh, Mrs. Collins actually had yelled at me early on, so I had lowered them uh, since the first few episodes, but from here on in I've been trying to keep them uh, much lower. Um, I know I like lots of music in the background of everything I do, but I also want to respect our listeners here and make sure that it's uh, comfortable and not just, uh, you know, empty space.
0: With that being said, don't forget, for those of you just joining us or those of you who've been listening to us since the beginning, uh, we have two regular episodes each month, all summer long. We're going to kind of keep this going through Labor Day. And on top of that, we'll have... We'll be doing about one or two live episodes and a special birthday episode with a guest host in September.
1: Yeah, we're going to do fossils, but much more Sam Neill, less Chris Pratt.
0: No, uh, that's a solid Jurassic Park reference. Well done. Uh, yes, it should be an exciting episode, and uh, let's go over what we have in store for the next few weeks quickly, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, so today we're finishing our second Japan episode, though uh, we have some more... We. You know, we're probably going to end up with some more at some point. <laughs> There's a lot in here. Um, in August, though, we're going to talk about invertebrates and crustaceans. And woo! September, we're going to hit uh, reptiles, which is going to lead us into the anniversary episode where we're going to talk about fossils.
0: Ah, oh, as you can tell by the, woo, I'm totally hyped for that. Uh, we are going to be doing our first live episode as well. We finally got a date for it, July 24th. 8 pm eastern standard time this special episode will allow you to interact with us directly we'll be discussing electric rodents of all sorts we'll be pretty much going down the generations and talking about the different electric rats so please come join us you can join us in commenting on the live stream on youtube as well as facebook We'll post plenty of links, so you're you're not going to miss it unless you can't miss it or don't want to let's do
1: it. <laughs> yeah, and and you know also veteran Lucas is going to be at uh, Tampa doing two panels at uh, Metrocon on July 20th and July 21st. Uh, one's on Monster Hunter and the others on Pokemon. I, I think the Pokemon is a later. Uh, so please stop out if you're there and yep. say hi.
0: Yeah, please do. I would love to hear you guys, and that's actually where I got my start teaching Pokemon biology. Uh, finally. Um, if you haven't done so, please like our Facebook page. We're doing in the show notes as well. Leave a five-star review on iTunes. It's just our way of making sure we can keep track of who's listening. And it also allows us a way to try and look for sponsorship. The more people who like us, the more likely we have people coming to actually allow us to pay off some of this. Again, doing this is a hobby for us, but it's still not free. The last option we want to try is Patreon. I do not want to put this on you guys because that's not fair for someone trying to do this for a hobby. So uh, please, if you like this stuff, please share it with a friend. We would love to have more of you with us. Now, Professor, that's all of our updates and news, but you still have something you really want to discuss before this specific episode. Yeah,
1: and and I'm sorry to do this, but I, I, I just want to, you know, just a few minor things. So obviously we know we're not the only Pokemon podcast out there, and we appreciate your support. Truly I want to thank everyone for you know giving us the chance here. However, with that said, we since day one have aimed to be different. Since both of us have a love for science, mm. both the physical and social kind, you know, we want to make sure we show our topics the utmost respect.
0: Yeah, there are so many different types of animals out there, and while some may be comforting and judging, um, there's just some that people find as creepy or weird or ugly. And everyone has some kind of bias we do try to show all these living creatures with respect. Even if we talk about how dangerous one would be or how terrifying one would be, it's still we try to make sure that you understand that this is a living, breathing animal. We want to learn from these games. And we want to try and convey the love of learning of science that we have with them. So
1: in all honesty, you know, I've heard some podcasts and seen some videos where people have been uh, less than respectful of the culture or customs <clears throat> that a Pokemon or Part of the game is based on and we want this community to be inclusive so you know we're going to do everything we can to make sure everyone feels uh respected so we're always going to do our best to reflect here you know understand and appreciate the differences that make this world just as colorful as the one in the pokemon games
0: we do however want to remind our american fans as we've discussed in many of our episodes to understand a lot of this game you need to understand where they come from more often than not these games have a lot of japanese influence and our knowledge on the culture would suggest that this is intentional. So, with that said, Professor, let's get right into it. Enough of the news, enough of the notices. Tell me about Japanese folklore. I, I know. I've played Persona 5. That's as far as I've gotten.
1: (laughs) Okay, so as we said in the last episode, Japan is a group of islands at some point separated from the mainland Asia. Um, People are thought to have come to the archipelago via a land bridge either from Russia. uh, You know, there's a Russian island, uh, Sakhalin? Sakhalin? I'm not good in Russian in any way, shape, or form. Via the north, obviously. Or uh, the land bridge from uh, the Ryukyu Islands and and Taiwan in the south. Possibly there are some signs that there possibly could have been a land bridge as well from Korea. The culture of Japan, though, has evolved greatly over the millennia here from the country's prehistoric time, uh, the, the Jomon period, uh, to its contemporary modern culture, which absorbs influences all the way from you know Asia, Europe, North America. Um, there are definitely strong Chinese influences uh, that are evident in uh, a lot of the traditional Japanese culture. Uh, And while a lot of this originally came through from Korea, you know, as cultural and trade relations grew, China's culture helped shape Japan in more direct means. Though a vast uh, span of Japan's history, however, uh, the country has taken an isolationist approach uh, for several hundreds of years. The country struggled with civil wars and weak governing bodies, which is kind of why it has developed a very unique culture as well. Uh, today, however, it's taken in many Western influences and become a pop culture icon. So let's talk about uh, Japan as a, as a country though. I would say, and I think it's a good statement, that Japan's a very spiritual country, but not so much a very religious country. Correct. Uh, With with under half of the country belonging to organized religion, many Japanese follow and adhere to old customs and traditions. So these traditions can be based off of some of uh, Japan's religious ties or sometimes be based off of some folklore of the local area. Uh, Many Japanese follow some of the uh, guiding principles of Buddhism and uh, Shinto, uh, Shintoism, And the festivals often see mixes of both religious practices. So, uh, you know, it's kind of an intermingling here. Uh, Japan's main religions are Buddhism and Shinto.
0: All right, professor. So why is any of this important to our episode about monsters and men? So
1: I'm happy, yes. So since Japan is truly a mix of old culture and new world society, it has a very unique view and approach to beliefs. And I want to separate the religious influences such as Shinto or Buddhism or even many of the folk religions that can be found throughout the country because Japan's early religions tend to focus a lot on um, animism or the belief that objects, places, and creatures have a unique spirit. So this sets up a good foundation though for Shinto and, and, and Buddhism, as you can see, tying into to, you know, the spirits of living things. Uh, the reason is though, because today we're gonna look at, we're, we're not really gonna be looking at a lot of that. Today we're gonna talk about something completely unrelated but I want to set the stage here for the culture. Today we're going to talk about yokai.
0: Okay, so I actually know that one. I know that phrase. So the yokai, that's ghosts, monsters, a video game that didn't do well in America. They're they are tied to beliefs and practices. I know that much.
1: Uh, well, yeah, I thought that too, but no, at the same point, they aren't. Um, so, so to understand, you have to uh, really get that that animism really is tied into Japanese culture. So, uh, Mananoke uh, are these spirits that they they believe are, are said to uh, reside in, in all living things.
0: I'm going to assume I'm going to assume that's where prin- the phrase pr- from Princess Moranoke comes from.
1: Yeah, actually, if you think about it, the movie. So the trees had spirits, the forest had a spirit, the animals had spirits. It, it's a great example. Now. Uh, all these beliefs, you know, you have you have two different types of spirits. You have your good spirits and your bad, you know, obviously. Uh, and these negative spirits, or uh, I'm totally going to butcher this. My my Japanese is not perfect. Um, Aramitama uh, could become yokai, uh, these negative spirits, if they're the kind of left alone. So so yokai uh, are, are more of like these demons, these ghosts and monsters and folklore. They're not necessarily tied to one religious practice. Um, but there's something kind of much older, which is why I wanted to set the foundation here. That
0: so I'm going to assume that these are pretty culturally relevant to them even today.
1: Well, yes, and yes and no. I mean, you know, while, you know, some are, are, are you know, like we, we look at America's folklore, Bigfoot, you know, sometimes it's important and sometimes it's really not anything. It's gibberish. Um, you know, a lot of these yokai actually come from uh, literary pieces where the authors and artists just created them. So, um, you know, uh, in the present, some yokai are are thought of to have, like, these legendary or legend-based in origin, and others do not. Uh, They were made up, you know, sell, sell, sell.
0: (laughs) Okay, so they actively admit it, that some of these are, like, just completely made up, and some of them aren't. So,
1: I think... Yeah. And as we were looking into it, I mean, one of the authors who wrote, uh, one of the most uh, uh, established authors who wrote a lot about yokai was actually a uh, a European guy who who lived in Cincinnati, Ohio for several years of all places. Like, it's, yeah, it's very, it's very odd.
0: So are these things important or not? Like, because there's a mixed bag here.
1: So let's remember, so Japan is a combination of all these cultures, Uh, you know, Shinto is is truly native, and they also have these regional religious practices in Japan, where, you know, a belief is going to be different from one precinct to the next. Uh, You know, while there are written accounts for, for with with a lot of the the Shinto all the way back to, you know, the 8th century AD, many of these practices and these regional customs, you know, have been around longer, and they have older roots. Whereas like, you know, you look at the Buddhism, on the other hand, it shows up somewhere in the 6th century AD. But why I keep trying to come back to it is that, is that Shinto really has it's not an organized religion in the way that the West would imagine. It's a lot of practices from various groups of people based upon their long standing customs. So, so the Shinto religion as such, it doesn't have a written text. And some of these spiritual practices are thought to date all the way back to prehistoric Japan, which kind of ties into the whole Yokai culture here.
0: So that was like a block of text to me. That, that doesn't answer my question, does it? Well,
1: yes? I think no? it does. I mean, because the answer is not really black or white, it's more great. So, you know, there are ancient texts that suggest there was a belief in Yokai all the way back to the first century. And there are other accounts that you know tie them all the way into the 8th century and then we know that modern poets uh, you know all the way in the 17th century wrote about them and created them and made up stories about them you know i think we have to look at it that yokai became a way of uh, explaining phenomena that were unexplainable so i guess they are important as part of japanese tradition and custom but not as relevant today though also since japan has spiritual roots they're still relevant I don't. I, I think it's, it's a hard. It's a hard question here, and I think that is is really a good snapshot of Japan as a culture. Is this always this reflectiveness of, of custom versus modern? And, and I, I think you know, big the to note here is that Japan loves Japan, <laughs> so <laughs> you see a lot more of their roots in these games than anything else. And you know, uh, there are obviously others that are significant in some regard but but you know there's a lot of yokai symbolism here in these games a lot more than there is uh for shinto or buddhism but i do want to talk about uh, some of these yokai yeah
0: all right so with that out of the way let's move on and talk
1: about some actual pokemon okay so everyone and their brother knows about frost right
0: i mean unless they're a filthy gen one 1er, yeah she's a pokemon
1: well, she's based on a yokai, actually. Uh, it's Yukiona.
0: And that is a...
1: Okay, so it's actually a really hard question to answer. Um, <laughs> and because why I was trying to kind of talk about this culture here is because a lot of these legends can come from different regions and then have many different takes on the same entity. So I can tell you what it looks <laughs> like a little bit. So, uh, some say that Yukiona appears on a snowy nights as a tall, beautiful woman with long black hair and blue lips. She has pale skin, described wearing a white kimono. Uh, Yukiona floats across the snow, leaving no footprints.
0: So, Frostlass, that that, that just sounds like Frostlass.
1: Yeah, that's my thoughts too. So, uh, the legends here have a lot of variability though. She can be depicted as like this evil spirit that tricks people to holding her baby and then letting them freeze to death. She has been told to be a spirit who appears in snowstorms and freezes people to death. Um, And sometimes she does spare people. Uh, but many of these tales of re- revolving around her, you know, end up being pretty, uh, pretty gruesome. Yeah, so that that makes it pretty fitting.
0: Ghost ice type, and it does fit the lore well enough.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty pretty direct match about about how depressing Frostless is. Okay, so what if I told you all three of the Pokemon in this family, though, were were yokai?
0: I would say that that could be correct or not. Like you said, this yokai stuff's tricky. <laughs>
1: Okay, so Snow Runt uh, could be could be based on uh, what's called Yukinoko. So yukinko, yunkinko. Sorry. Uh, so it's a childlike spirit in Japanese mythology, or yokai, uh, that emerges when it snows. It appears in swaddling clothes, or uh, what's known as mino, uh, like a mino straw coat. It kind of looks the way Snow Runt is, you know, it's kind of like wearing a coat there. Here's the thing, is that the uh, y- yukin? <laughs> you got this, buddy. Yukinko... Uh, is is actually directly tied to the Yukiona. Okay. It is the child that the Yukiona uses to trick people.
0: Oh, that's kind of devious. So I'm going to assume Glalie is some other horrifying ice monster that eats people?
1: No, I think it's just an Oni. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm pretty... Hey, I know that phrase. Yeah, uh, you know, Oni are just, you know, these scary ogres with with horns and and big teeth. Um, You know, the Japanese name for uh, Glalie has Oni in it. You know, Onis have bodies that, you know, they're, they're red, blue, or green skin. I, I think the thing here is that Glalie, Glalie, has, you know, the does not have the most uh, friendly of appearance.
0: <laughs> yes, I guess you could say the family tree is rather chilling.
1: What's next? Okay, so I, I want to move on. We'll go do something recent here. Um, you know, and I, I heard someone uh, once talk about, you know, they thought the Ultra Beasts were kind of based upon the Seven Deadly Sins. And, and you know, I'm really happy that people are trying to make connections to their lives. I, I, I just want to say, I think it ignores how much Japan wants Japanese culture in these games. Um, the Pokémon world, you know, we know it's our world because the first four games were actually in Japan. They are actual places in Japan. And so the Ultra Beasts, I think we need to recognize, have strong Japanese ties. Uh, Celestelia and Kartana, have some very big cultural ties to mythos and, and Japanese literature and, and Shinto. Uh, however, I want to talk about Stack Attacker.
0: Okay, so big castle, a lot of eyes, trick room, giant ball, what about it?
1: Um, it's actually based on the yokai uh, Moku Mokuren. Uh, hey, you got that one right. There you go. Uh, and, and Moku Mokuren uh, are these spirits that live inside uh, Shoji, you know, the Japanese sliding walls. So when there's like a tear or a rip, these spirits kind of live in there. And, and the name uh, Mokumokuren literally translates to many eyes. Uh, just like, you know, with the Yukiona, there are conflicting stories about this yokai. Some have people sewing the holes to drive them out. Uh, some have people removing uh, the Mokumokuren's eyes, and the other stories have the, this yokai removing people's eyes. So it's kind of like a, a staple here uh, for haunted houses in Japan. This yokai, though, it's very different, though, because it has a very clear, finite creation point. Um, it, it's be, it's able to be traced back to the poet uh, and artist, and I hope I don't say this wrong, uh, Toriyama Sikien.
0: So what you're telling me is that this is more that is more so rooted in what sells better than what's actually tradition.
1: Yeah, so this one is, but it's such a cool thing to think about. I mean, it's like, you know, if you know anything about uh, shoji, you know, the way the wood and... and the paper in between, you know, you have all these little cells, just like the the stack attacka. And, and you think of all these little eyes kind of peeping through. I don't know. I think it's cool. I mean, yeah, you know, it, this one was, was was made up for for a, to to sell, but it's still pretty cool.
0: All right. Well, I think I can put at least one yokai into this because there's one animal that Japan and Florida and well South America have in common: catfish. So with wishcast, the the big fish. I know it's based on a yokai because, like you said, everything is. Um, In the Pokedex, it talks about how it's based on earthquakes, and that's what it's thought of in the mythology as well, and I know that's why in the anime... Barbaroche episode got so much attention, there was a bunch of earthquakes in Japan, and in that episode, this Pokemon was the cause of similar earthquakes in the anime, so it actually never aired. Think of it like America's Not Showing the Tentacool episode destroying a city after 9-11.
1: Yeah, and and, you know, um, they're actually based on the yokai uh, Namazu, uh, and he he lives in the mud under the islands of Japan. Uh, He's guarded by the god... uh, Kashima, and, and you know, whenever Kashima lets his guard down, Namazu is gonna thrash about, creating all sorts of violent earthquakes, which Japan has frequently.
0: All right, so, fun fact, folks uh, for Japan, the symbol for the earthquake early warning system is a catfish for the Japanese Meteorological Agency. Um, however, there is no evidence whatsoever that catfish can sense earthquakes. From everything I know about catfish, they're Antennules and are, most of their senses are designed for feeling their way through the muck. Theoretically, they could feel when the earth when an earthquake could be coming, but that would have to be like actively tested. And quite frankly, like that, I I don't buy it. Like other animals can sense it due to dropping pressure, but catfish can just feel vibration in the water. They can feel when it's happening, but they can't predict them.
1: So I, I also think though um, that that stunfish uh, reminds me of Namazu. You know, especially when you ha- throw in the ground typing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, clearly it's, it has some flounder in design, but, you know, the, the, the link to the mythos are, are present as well. And I think that's worth noting.
0: Yeah, I don't know about the flounder design. I'm from Florida. I know flounder. I, w- I would not eat that. I would eat a flounder, just ugh, not that thing.
1: Okay, let's talk about another good one. Uh, ha- Hawnedge. Uh, Ooh, fun! Yeah, I know, it's more than just an amazing sword though. It's also, you know, based on a yokai. Sugumogami are are tools that are said to have acquired a spirit. So they're they're said to come from the Middle Ages, kinda of like swords, and have declined in use.
0: So Ghost Sword.
1: Well, yes and, and no. I mean, there's conflicting definitions and descriptions for, for this yokai, and it's hard to really settle it in. Uh, I think that was the entire point though I wanted to make with the whole introduction here, that because Japanese culture is often rooted in regional customs, that you see so many different interpretations of the same thing. I, I just hope that our listeners take away that, that Japan is truly a diverse place uh, culturally. Uh, not only that, though, the thing, things like the uh, Sugomogami, you know, they change in meaning over time, too. So, you know, Sugomogami were even, you know, used to help spread uh, uh, Shingori Buddhism.
0: So it's like when early Catholics adopted pagan festivals during Christmas. They wanted to try and include those new people into the fold by using some of their old customs.
1: Yeah, so it's kind of easier to convert people, to, you know, if they get to keep the things that they like. also, awesome. Well, I can just stuff. say... Yeah.
0: I, I just want to say with hone edge, I'm so glad that it's the ghost of, like, a sword and not, like, a tea kettle. I feel that would be more intimidating in battle, although... Well there oh, no.
1: and there, there have been uh talks that, that um or stories that that uh, uh Oda Nobunaga, you know, famous for unifying Japan, had a, 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 a suko uh a sukumogami, uh like like it was a paper lantern.
0: <laughs> really?
1: Huh? And that was one of the things I read. Yeah, I don't I mean
0: yeah, I don't, I don't put much stake in that. No, it, I
1: do not. I the last one, actually, I'm going to have is might be very surprising to some people, and it's going to be Jinx. Mm-hmm. So Jinx has gotten a bunch of crap over the years for being racist.
0: Oh, my God.
1: But honestly, after looking at some of the, the, the lore here, I'm not sure how to feel... <laughs> I mean, I, I do not condone blackface in any way, shape, or form. I want to make that clear. Uh, but, but I also feel like this is another... Chance of people missing the culture. Um, Jinx is clearly based off the yokai uh, Yamauba. You know there are speculations that it has roots like Frostlast does to the to uh, Yukiona. I, I think that that speculation ignores so much of the lore going on here.
0: All right. So what's the difference?
1: Okay. So if you remember, we said that Yukiona was a ghost who had a child, right? Yep. Yeah. Yamauba would be the opposite, I guess. She's a child eater. Oh. Yep. So uh, the one thing that is that uh, Yamauba, she's like a witch or a hag. She's not a ghost. She's a monstrous old woman with white hair, unkempt moto. It's often red in color. You know, kind of like a certain Pokemon we know, unkempt, very bright hair. Uh, she also has, in stories, that she has control over snow. So you know, uh, and in some versions, you know, she talks about nursing children before devouring them, or she will uh, dance to entice men, which all kind of connects to Jinx.
0: That is incredibly terrifying. I'm also noticing a pattern with the Japanese really liking monsters that control snow.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I mean, if you have to think of uh, of bad phenomena to explain, you know, blizzards and earthquakes are, are pretty high up there. Um, so, uh, sorry, uh, so the, the Yamauba, you know it also has had other other influences y- yamanba is slang for this extreme uh uh what's called the 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 ganguro fashion uh you know it involves the, the bleached hair uh the artificial tanning the heavy uh you know heavy bright colored lipstick so think of like uh, uh jesse and james in the ssn episode
0: Cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ah, uh, good old band episode.
1: Uh, and, and her what? Japanese name is literally Rouge, the color. Ah! Huh. So she's described, I mean, you know, shaking her hips. So, I you know, I think it ties into the um, Yamanba slang, you know, for the, the Ganguro fashion trend. And it fits her behaviors, but her appearance really makes me think of, you know, this old ice hang.
0: I mean, there's tons of yokai we could go into, but I think we should go ahead and start wrapping this up. yes. Alrighty folks, now before we get to the ending announcements, as per usual, we thought we might do something a little bit different, so we do want to drive to something special here. Um, while I'm sure there are many handful of missing yokai and other things, here is the list of all of the Pokemon that we found that have a cultural ties to Japanese folklore, yokai, Japanese Buddhism, and Shintuo. so deep breaths... <sighs> Goeli, Benetti, Wajikigis, Trevenant, Phantom, Meowth, Nuzli, Lombroi, Esper,
1: Snakataka, Shift Tree, Meowstic, Ludicolo, Goodra, Electrike, Orangaroo, Jellicent, Sneezol, Gastly,
0: Lotad, Electabuzz, Lickitung, Slowpoke, Drowsy, Muna, Is- Espeon, Mistreavus, Mawile, Dusknor,
1: Magnetrix, Slowbro, Hypno, Dusclaps, Frostlass, Dunsparce, Zigzagoon, uh, Raikou, and Perugly. Mushama, Wishcast,
0: No Run, Dusko, Honez, Kartana, Horsey, Executor, RCS, Bialtoy,
1: Slowking, Mischievous, Nine Ninetales, Arcanine, Chingling, Tornadus, Landris, Thunderous, Playdoll.
0: We're still going, folks. Suicune, Luya, Diaga, Spiritu, Magmar, Kamo'o, Yamath, Lucario, Greninja, Bronzong,
1: Volcanion, Blaziken, Entei, uh, Darumaka, Darumanten, uh, Chimeko, Celestila, Wartortle, Kingdra.
0: Giratina, Absol, Castform, Wobbuffet, Tyrant, Tyranitar, Moltres, Dragonite, Dragonair, Zorark, Hydreigon.
1: Uh, Jirachi, Torterra, Bomasnow, Oxy, Azelf, Mesprit, Zorua, uh, Dino, Delphox, Kiram.
0: Abra, Kadabra, Alakazam, Zuelas, Zoram,
1: Brexian. Shed Ninja, Froki, and Magirna.
0: <coughs> oh, that's... Uh... That's a hefty count. For those of you who are keeping track, that's like, what, 125?
1: Somewhere in there, yeah. Uh, you know, and it I doesn't even mention things like, like samurat, who are clearly designed on other Japanese cultural aspects, like, like attire and wardrobe, because there's so many more that we would have to fit in here then, too. But, you know, it's just a point that I, I really wanted us to make with this episode.
0: So, does that mean we're going to have to do more Japan episodes at some point? I,
1: I think so, yes. <laughs>
0: Uh, fine, let's get to the uh, ending announcements. Okay, so everybody, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you, Professor, for that lovely, informative episode.
1: Yeah, thanks for, uh, for giving me me a shot. It was fun.
0: Now, I joke about the social sciences, but it's nice to drop the minimum between the hard sciences, especially with the next four episodes being on them. Um, so, like we always say, we want to hear from you guys, so please join us, especially Tuesday, July 4th, for our live recording of the Science of for- Pokemon... July 24th, thank you. Join us July 24th for the live recording of The Science of Pokemon. The link will be posted on our Facebook page, or you can check out the show notes on iTunes. We'll post it there on our Twitter as well. And I'll also point out a special announcement episode on iTunes before that happens.
1: And I'm asking you guys to come up with some tough questions, please. Come on, Stump Veteran Lucas. Come on, be ready.
0: You won't be able to. I'm looking forward to the challenge anyway. Um, so, of course, we do have our Twitter, at Pokemon Science. Drop suggestions for episodes. Say hi. Tweet us about Pokemon. I like to talk to anybody who likes to show up. And again, I do like a challenge.
1: So subscribe on Podbean or iTunes. Uh, Stay up to date on each episode. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Again, we're trying to get this sponsorship. We need your help.
0: If any of that is too fancy for you, just shoot us an email, pokescience at yahoo.com, which already worked wonderfully so far. Uh, We will reply as quickly as we can through Facebook. It's always faster, though. But, you know, we always have things ready for you guys. You can
1: find the PokeScience page on Facebook and the Science of Pokemon group on Facebook. Facebook.com backslash groups backslash science of Pokemon.
0: And I'll put that link down in the comments as well. But please like our page and leave some comments. If you would need help getting the link, you can email us as well. Again, we like hearing from you. It's more fun when we hear it from you, especially when we don't have to come up with all the ideas ourselves. Uh, but as you heard earlier in this episode, we are happy to accommodate with anything you guys want to know about and any changes you guys might be interested in seeing
1: in us. So from here on, you know, expect some video and audio content. I hope you're all excited. Alright, thank you for coming out. We hope hope we'll have you back for July 24th.
0: Um, Bye-bye, everybody.
1: See you then.